Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you and with a weather forecast like that, nothing for it but to stay indoors uh, today. Bernie's taking your calls. 0818103103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can also text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. And I can already see some texts and calls coming in wanting to wish our ladies in green all the very, very best today, including Michael, who said, have no doubt they will give it 100% plus and most certainly will do us proud with some heart-stopping football. There's such a pleasure to watch, uh, says Michael, with uh, much tenacity and conviction and and I'd have to uh, agree with that and we will later on on the programme be hooking up with Denise O'Sullivan's uh, family today just to see what their plans for this afternoon are and how nervous, it must be nerve-wracking to have a family member put on that green jersey and go out onto the pitch and all our eyes of course will be on down under one o'clock today when the girls will take on Canada in the FIFA Women's World uh, Cup and actually I read in the paper today that Turner's Cross are playing host to a free viewing of the match It's the Munster Football Association and Cork City Council. They're hosting the live viewing party at Turner's Cross and it is open to one and all if you want to, if you're in the city and you want to gather. There's lots of viewing parties going on as well and I think the fact it's at one o'clock whereas the last match last week was at 11 and the next one against Nigeria is at 11 uh, as well but one o'clock it's a more civilised time of the day and of course the girls have got to get a result. If they could get a win that would be the, the dream because the win would be a massive result because it certainly would put them in pole place then to qualify for the knockout phases especially if Nigeria suffered defeat and of course Nigeria are playing Australia but we have to wait for that match that's not on until 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. So a win, even a draw, even a draw will keep our hopes alive today. So come on, the ladies. Uh, let's, and we know win, lose, a draw, they will do us proud. 0818103103. Isn't it so sad to read that American citizens in Ireland have now been issued with a warning 
about their personal safety when they're coming to visit Ireland, particularly when they're coming to visit Dublin. And obviously this is in light of a number of incidents of real extreme violence on the streets of uh, Dublin. And it is the US Embassy who's decided to get involved and warn their citizens. And obviously that's got a lot to do with one of their own being left with really serious injuries after the assault in the city centre just this day uh, last week. Now this particular warning from the US Embassy cites a number of safety measures that travellers should take in what many are seeing could damage Ireland's international reputation as a very welcoming and safe destination for tourists. And obviously this now is just going to heap additional pressure onto the government, particularly over the policing of street crime. And the Taoiseach, or only of Radcar yesterday, admitted that the government's target of recruiting a thousand new Gardaí this year, he is, he's admitted, we're halfway through the year, he said it is going to be very hard to meet. Now, the latest security awareness alert was sent to all US citizens in Ireland and they actually sent it on Monday night. It warned travellers, for example, to avoid walking alone, especially at night, to avoid carrying large amounts of cash when they're out on the streets. And they also suggested keeping expensive watches or jewellery hidden when out and about. It urged people to keep a low profile, limit their use of headphones or earbuds and to avoid staring at their phones while moving around in public areas. Citizens were warned by the US government to exercise good personal security while travelling in light, they say, of a number of recent uh, incidents. They were also told not to place passports or or, uh, not to place passports or valuable items in an outer pocket of backpacks or purses are to leave them on table, tables when they're out in public places. The warning said be vigilant, pickpocketing, mugging and snatch and grab thefts of mobile phones, watches and jewelries can uh, occur. And there has been a spate of violent incidents, unfortunately, in recent days. And it has very much turned the spotlight now on Dublin and very much turned the spotlight, particularly on policing in Dublin, mainly in the inner city uh, areas. Obviously, it all really kicked off last week when that when Stephen Termini from above Buffalo was seriously uh, injured. He's still in Beaumont Hospital. He is still in an induced uh, coma and we know that his his children are travelling over to be with him while he's treated in, in Beaumont Hospital and there was a wonderful outpouring of support for the family with that GoFundMe page to cover the cost of their travel over to Ireland. So while that incident occurred on uh, Wednesday night, this day actually last uh, week. Other incidents that have been reported was uh, late on Monday night, a man was assaulted and robbed on Jervis uh, Street. There were a number of other assaults reported in Dublin all on Monday. A man, for example, in his 40s was arrested for being intoxicated and that was following a disturbance on Ormond Quay on Monday evening. And there's video of an incident showing a group of teens clashing with that man and punches being uh, thrown and uh, one was, the man was arrested and then a woman in her 30s was assaulted in Temple Bar. She ended up having to be transported by ambulance to St James's Hospital and it's all just happened in a very, very short period of time. So the Taoiseach uh, yesterday obviously was being quizzed about what's going on on the streets of uh, Dublin and he said he will be meeting with the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris to discuss this 
level of violent attacks and seeking to try to find a way to recruit more Gardaí. He said it's hoped that 200 Gardaí would be recruited this week, but he said in reality that that number is likely to only be 90. Now they're trying to get 200, but they said if, if you know all goes well, they'll probably come in at around 90. He said the government now needs to look at increasing the training allowance for Gardaí. This seems to be a big problem with people deciding to sign up uh, to become members of Ingarda Shikona. He's also talking about allowing them to retire at 60 rather than having to wait until they're 62. The age limit of 35 for new uh, recruits Leo Varadkar said that should be looked at as a way of increasing recruitment and it seems about 200 applications were turned down because the people who applied were over 35 and didn't know there was an age limit. At the moment you have to be under 35 in order to apply. Uh, the Taoiseach said there were underlying issues around addiction and poverty and that needs to be addressed and he's, he's saying that's one of the reasons that we're having so much crime in our uh, cities. Leo Varadkar urged the uh, Drew Harris, the guard, the commissioner, um, or sorry, yeah, no, he asked, he revealed when he was speaking with Drew, Drew Harris, he imp- that Drew Harris impressed on him that having an unarmed police force is something of real val- value because the Taoiseach previously said he had been open to arming rank and file Gardaí, but only if the commissioner asked for permission uh, to do so. Now, it, you know, Leo Riker isn't necessarily saying that it's something he wants, but he says if he, if the Garda Commissioner, who, you know, who's the man in the know, Drew Harris, if he feels it would help to arm our rank and file Gardaí, then, you know, Leo Riker said, yeah, we would give it very serious uh, consideration. So uh, I'm interested in people's thoughts on that. Arming our rank and file Gardaí, is that something you would welcome? Would you like to be out and about on the streets? Would you feel safer if you knew that the Gardaí you were passing were armed and that if something happened that they would be able to defend you and defend themselves? I wonder if you had armed Gardaí, would it act as a deterrent? And should we follow what many other countries do by arming our police force? I mean, anyone who's been on holiday, certainly in Spain, if you see the, if you see the police going around, they all very visibly have guns on them. And you wonder, would that act as a deterrent for somebody kicking off if they thought there was a chance that they were going to be uh, shot? Uh, would it stop them? Would it make them stop and uh, think? Your thoughts welcomed on that. Would you like us, would you like Drew Harris to give serious consideration to the idea of arming our uh, police uh, force or at least, at the very least, invest more in the armed support units that we already have. Your thoughts welcomed on that and would it help in any way uh, to try to stop this high level of crime that we seem to be having in our city centres and a lot of it tied in with antisocial behaviour and the Taoiseach saying so much of it is to do with poverty and so much of it is to do with addiction to drugs and our alcohol. 0818103103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Should we be arming our Gardaí and would that be a way to try to stop some of the antisocial behaviour and the crime, particularly in some of our city uh, areas? Somebody said, no guns, please, in our country. We're not America. And if they are looking for extra Gardaí, tell them to go along and take all the lads and lassies off the dole and train them to be members of Angarda Siakona. But I suppose you can't make somebody become a member of Angarda Siakona. John in Newmarket would be 
in favour of our rank and file Gardaí having guns but he said no point having them if they don't use them. Yeah and I suppose that's what the other listener is fearful about. We've seen what can happen in the States if somebody gets trigger happy. You wouldn't want that to be happening. We, we certainly don't want to uh, end up in a situation like that where somebody innocently uh, gets uh, shot. So I mean I can see the for and against having armed uh, Gardaí. And Jer in uh, Middleton on the American Embassy issuing uh, the warning. Isn't it kind of ironic that they're issuing a warning to Americans, particularly Americans coming into Dublin and the city centre. Yes, we had our own Justice Minister Helen McEntee walking around the streets of Dublin this week saying Dublin is uh, safe. Yeah, but she was walking around the streets in Dublin with two Gardaí with her. So of course she, of course she felt safe. Jar thinks tourists should be given some kind of a safety leaflet when they arrive in this country. He also feels that Cork City is no better and there's a lot of antisocial behaviour there as well. And just by the way, I did check on the US uh, Embassy who have issued this warning to all of their U, uh, US uh, citizens you know, if, when they're coming to Ireland. They're not specifically saying Dublin, they're saying anywhere in Ireland. But they're carrying uh, their, the, if you go on their Embassy their latest alert rates Ireland as level one and level one means exercise normal precautions. So I think what they're basically saying uh, to their own citizens is, you know, use the same precautions you would use if you were out and about in any city or any town in the States, you know, exercise normal precautions. But I suppose they had to issue some kind of a warning in light of what happened to uh, Stephen uh, Termini, the 57-year-old from uh, Buffalo. 0818103. 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Cork Today on C103. Active Retirement Ireland uh, carried out a survey recently and they published the results this week which found that almost three in five older people living on the state pension cannot afford to participate in life as much as they would like to. Cork City Councillor Kenneth Flynn has suggested as a way to help out older people. The government should consider an exemption of OAPs from the local property tax in the up coming budget and Councillor Kenneth Flynn uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Ken. Good morning, Patricia. How are you this morning? I'm very well. You're going to be very popular with uh, older people on this one uh, for sure. Do you hear from many older people who struggle to pay their local property tax? Um, this has been brought to my attention for many years now. Um, I suppose really in the last number of two years um, with the increase of diesel, the increase of fuel, the increase of our shopping, uh, the day-to-day increases, it's been highlighted over and over again. Uh, and it, it affects every host. It's from Douglas to, to Carrie Navarre, from from, uh, from Valley to, to, to Miss and Hedge, you know. The reality is that a lot of people have purchased houses with, say, people my mum and dad's age, you know, bought houses back in the 70s, three or 4,000 uh, pounds at the time, which was an awful lot of money at the time. They're now living in a property which is valued over 230, 250,000 on average around the country. And they're paying an enormous property tax on that. Um, like the reality, I suppose, Patricia, for me is that, you know, these people in particular have paid taxes, have paid the tax on their properties when they purchased it. And I've always disagreed with the idea that the property tax was introduced anyway in, in how it was introduced. But it is death by a thousand paper cuts. Many widows and widowers have come to me over the last number of years and they've said to me, look, my husband is after passing away or my wife is after passing away. I'm left with the same amount of bills. It costs me the same amount of money to, 
to heat the house. It costs me the same amount of money to insure the house. It costs me the same amount of money to, to look after the property. And yet our my income is in half now because where where I'm relying on one pension rather than two pensions coming in. Yeah, I have to and say, yeah, you're you're raising a lot of issues that it, and a lot of points that we would hear uh, from listeners who who contact this program are whose sons and daughters of older people. Uh, contact this uh, programme. The first one is um, that you touched on and because it's based on valuation, we have older people faced with higher property tax than some younger people simply because of where they live. Yeah, simply because of where they live and you know, the way the property tax is drawn as well, you can be living on one side of the road. I saw it in in Granabrotter not so long ago, exactly the same house but on a different side of the road and the property tax was different by 35 euros. I I just don't understand. Why why was that? Well, it it was the way the line was drawn by the revenue commissioners, whoever was in Dublin drawing lines at the time. None of it made sense, but it was a, it's an ongoing issue that we have at times where neighbours are paying against uh, other bigger prices against people across the road. But there's also the reality of that, you know, you bought a house, you're, you're living in that house for the last 40, 50 years. Um, it's the neighbourhood, it's the, your, your friends are there, you're, you know, you shouldn't be told, oh, just because you're living in a big house, you should be moving out and moving into a smaller house into a different community. Um, you can't expect every elderly person to do that because, mm. you know, their supports are there. Their families are living around there. Their neighbours are living around there. They're used to that area. They're used to that shopping centre. And, to and, and, and I, I, whenever this issue gets mentioned about people, you know, older people downsizing, at the end of the day, it's the person's home. Yeah, you, correct. You know, and, and people have great affinity and attachment to their home and they want to spend however many days, weeks, months, years they've left. They want yeah, to spend it in their own home. And that's the reality. You have the, you have your memories of your kids growing up in your home, of you know kids going out and getting married, leaving the house, going going off and getting married. All those things, the Christmases, the Easter's, the 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 arguments, the everything everything that happens in life happens inside your house, you know, or most of it. Uh, and the fantastic memories that you have as a couple living together in that in that property. Why should we be telling people, oh well, if you're if you're not satisfied with what you have to pay, move out of your house? There has yeah. to be a better yeah, solution yeah, for that. Yeah, and and look, the reality is, Patricia. That you know, look, you and I are going into supermarkets once, twice a week. We we know it. All your listeners know it. The price of everything has gone crazy. Um, there's nobody sticking up for the elderly person that's stuck on a limited income that doesn't have an option, whether it's due to a disability or whether it's due to their age or whatever. Um, doesn't have the option to go out and work. You know, and why should they? You know, they've worked they've worked all their lives uh, and they've paid taxes all their lives. I think at the least, we, the government should be looking back and saying we're in a very good position at the moment, which the government is financially. Um, we've been told that we have we have more money than we ever had before. Although, honestly, Patricia, I, I, I hear the government announcing that every every day of the week. Um, it's certainly not reflected in my constituency. It's certainly not con- con- uh, it's certainly not there when I when I meet people door to door canvassing or telling me how tough things are at the moment for them, how difficult things are for them. Government figures are saying oh, unemployment is at an all time low, which is great. Um, they're increasing their revenue, which is fantastic. But the reality is that the cost of living has affected people so badly 
and particular the elderly, the infirm, the disabled, and the widows and widowers out there. And I have to say, and, and, you know, and, 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 widows and widowers are the forgotten people of Ireland. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you touch on people who live alone because I really do feel they're the ones who really are uh, hit, the, hit the hardest, particularly an elderly person living alone, as you say, can't go yeah. out to take a part-time job to top up what, what, what meagre income they have coming in. But would you, would, would you be going along the lines of an exemption for all old age pensioners or is it just for those who are solely living on the state pension? Well, well look, I, I have to be honest, I think if we're going to be fair about, about it, look, there, there, look, there's some people that are in a retirement situation that are very well to do and very well off. Uh, and God bless them and best of luck to them. Um, my situ- the situation is that the majority of people that I meet uh, throughout life are on their state pension. I think, you know, a very, very good way to estimate this or to work this out would be anybody who's on medical card shouldn't be paying a property tax in their home. And, yeah, you know, that, yeah. would give, that would give you a very good means of working out what a means test is, you know. Yeah, it would, um, it would be the fairest. And, fair. and I know, um, and somebody's pointing this out, but can't people defer? People can defer the pay, uh, payment um, due to financial difficulties. But isn't it fair to say that the older generation that we're talking about, today's older generation, they're the generation that always pay their bills regardless. And they don't regardless. like to put something on the long finger. No, regardless of the fact. Like, you know, most people that I think Honestly, Patricia, they have a couple of thousand inside in the credit union and they always refer to that. That's the fund to bury me. Yeah. That they don't want the financial burden on their family. That if they are leaving a property or are leaving a house behind them um, or a bit of land behind them, they want their family to enjoy that. They don't want their family to be burdened with tax that is le- that they've left behind. Uh, and, you know, the, look, the reality is that I meet an awful lot of people that are, you know, they put X amount away. You meet them outside the post office, they're putting five euros against the ESB, they're putting five euros against Borgash, they're putting 10 euros against this, 10 euros against they that. They pay their bills. You know, they, pay they pay their, their bills. bills and yeah. pay, a lot of the time they're in banks as well. A lot of them, in fairness. But on the other hand of that, they're they're putting those those monies and they're paying that debt and they don't want never a lender or a borrower be. And they have that mindset. But yet they're going into the Tesco's, the Duns, the super values, the sensors, and they're cutting back and they're denying themselves. Mm. Yeah, it's That's so sad. Now, I, I know you're not within the, the Department of Finance, but have, have you any yeah. idea on what it would cost to introduce an exemption? I, I, I haven't looked at that, being honest. Yeah. You look, the, the, there's a lot of proposals out there at the moment There's there, uh, from, from government. I think it's now the time to flag it with the minister. Uh, to bring it up to the minister. That's why I decided to put pen to the paper. Um, I was down in Blackpool actually the other day, uh, having a cup of coffee with a friend of mine, and he said it to me. He said, "There's nobody speaking up for us." He said, "We have to pay this amount of money." He said, "And you know, with the country that is awash with money at the moment, um, wouldn't it be a great thing that we could give it back to the elderly and the disabled?" And okay. I think that's an idea. And 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 you wrote you you've put all of your thoughts down on paper uh, to uh, yeah. the finance minister uh, Michael McGrath. Uh, any any reaction from him? Any response? Uh, just a, an, an acknowledgement from the secretary okay. saying that he's received the letter. You know, which is fine. Look, it's a budget submission. I'm asking him to have a serious look at yeah. this. I put think it on the table. That would really help people. You know. Yeah, put it on the table. Open up the conversation at least. Okay, listen, Ken. Thank you for that. God bless you, Trisha. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Cork City Councillor Ken O'Flynn. And as I say, he will be extremely popular with any old age pensioner uh, listening uh, to us. How do how would people, would, would you like that, I, that, that idea? 
help out the older people there, the people who worked all of their lives and now as they're in the, their elder years, uh, should they be forced to have to pay a local property tax on homes that they worked very hard to pay for over the years. Your thoughts are welcomed on that. 0818 103 103. Bernie has taken the calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. And my apologies when I was uh, just talking with Councillor uh, Ken O'Flynn there about him calling for the exemption of local property tax for old age pensioners. I referenced at the close that he was a Fianna Fáil councillor. He is, of course, an independent councillor of Cork City Council. Uh, my apologies on that. Now, there has been calls to see dark coloured shorts trialled as part of Ladies Gaelic Games kits so that more girls could feel comfortable playing while having their periods. Senator Eileen Flynn wants to see a scheme piloted in her own county of Donegal and then rolled out nationwide and I'm delighted to say Senator Eileen Flynn uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to Eileen. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me on the what? show to uh, discuss this very important uh, topic. Absolutely. I was thrilled when I saw that you had raised this issue because it's something that I've felt quite strongly about for quite some time. Because, Eileen, this is an issue of concern to so many women. But do you think a lot of men, because it doesn't affect them, that they don't realise how important this is? Uh, firstly, just to say that there's many barriers that uh, women face in uh, LGFA uh, in, in, in general, like underfunded, uh, not having um, appropriate um, uh, equipment, uh, etc. Uh, of course, because unless you're a woman, you don't know what it's like uh, to feel embarrassed uh, having your uh, period, feeling, you know, your own self-esteem when you're playing on a pitch, uh, thinking that... Um, They've come out through, through, through your shorts. And it's so simple. And it's a really simple scheme uh, to be uh, implemented. And again, the trial to be here in uh, Ardran County, Donegal, I, I think would be um, a good starting point um, to normalise dark uh, shorts. Now, I'm aware that not every single woman who plays Gaelic games would want to wear uh, dark shorts, and that's absolutely fine. But it's given the choice and to normalise that women can wear their uh, dark dark shorts. Yeah, yeah, because predominantly they're white, isn't it? They, a lot of the teams wear white shorts. Yeah, yeah, and again, the the men, the women, the, the, they're either bright or if not, they're uh, white. So it is to normalise the dark, but we have to fund that. We have to roll it out uh, throughout the whole uh, county, if you want, mm. and, and throughout all of Ireland. Yeah, and your your local club is is our drag. Are, are they supportive of this suggestion, and would they be willing to to run a pilot? Yeah, I'm working along with the minor uh, team with Ardra and they would absolutely welcome it and as well invest, like looking for the government to invest in the LGFA in, in, in general. Uh, it's un, it's underfunded, not just here in Donegal, but also in Cork, Sligo, uh, Galway, where the women have to wait until the pitches are free from, from men playing, where the women uh, are sometimes using the same facilities as men. So the men's GAA ha- has the upper uh, hand than, than, than the women. When the women, like it's the exact same game, uh, obviously there's there's a few different rules in it, of course, when it comes to uh, women and men. But again, we have to have a bigger conversation in general around the Gaelic games. Do we uh, put it underneath the one umbrella for both men and women? 
And that's not, I don't know the answer to that because I don't play Gaelic myself. But I think it's, I, I think it's so important that we get uh, this conversation going yeah. with uh, women who, who do play. And the most important, if our um, LGFA is funded uh, and if, if we encourage young women to stay at sport, stick at it, you know, we, we were creating great opportunities for our young women instead of just going to a national school, uh, do uh, playing, getting getting involved in the games at national school and maybe at secondary school and then dropping out. Let's encourage our young women. Let's treat them equally to 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 young men. Now, in general, the GA and even the capital uh, grants uh, for equipment. Um, from my reading of the grant, it's not an easy uh, access grant. Uh, you have to have money to be able to 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 get money. So even the application for for this is for the capital grant. It's a little bit um, difficult for clubs to be able to. Uh, like I've heard of one club now, not in Donegal, saying that they wouldn't even apply for the capital fund because it means that they have to go and and, and fundraise. Um, to be able to have money to, to get the money. Yeah, and, and that's very difficult, Eileen, particularly yeah. if it's a smaller club. I'm thinking of yeah. some of the smaller rural clubs and, you know, there's a cost of living crisis going on that, you know, yeah. the, the, the club members are aware that their families are already struggling and they don't but want you know, to go out cap in hand. But you know, uh, Patricia, it's as simple as down to a first aid kit. Again, I've done a lot of talking to uh, to a lot of county uh, groups and uh, groups in town, say in Galway and Carroll or whatever it may be. And one group said to me that he has to get a lens of a first aid uh, um, kit. Uh, the women does. They have to get a lens of a first aid kit off the men. And and again, while it looks like the government is trying to bring women up and working with women to get women engaged in the in the Gaelic games, we're not doing enough. And we need to invest in in the GAA in, in in general and look at the structures of it as well and how, how do we be more inclusive in general. Yeah, and if you look, I mean, I was only only mentioned um, at the top of the programme where you know all eyes will be on Australia today with the the yeah. ladies uh, soccer team. But when you look at what the the previous generation of ladies soccer players, what they had to do to to fight to get unequal footing with men. And by 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 that fight and by that investment, we now have a team in the World Cup. Yeah, and again, you know, we wouldn't have seen that, uh, like, wouldn't even think it was possible 10, 15 years ago. And it is good to see that, you know, even, say, for, like, if Dublin was playing in the All-Ireland, the, the women uh, in, in uh, Cork as well, I know Cork has a brilliant uh, women's team, you know, we're getting more audience for the women and that's people themselves that's doing that. That's not, like, in my opinion, that's not coming from the government. That needs, like, and only recently we've seen women uh, protest for uh, equal pay. Yeah, it's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's a worldwide uh, issue as well, like, that we're not treating women in sports equally as, as, as we would uh, men. Now, it is changing. We may not build Coke Park and a women's all-Ireland say, but we're we're, we're getting there, you know, we're in fortune uh, participation. And I've got two uh, young girls, myself, two children, like, and I'm trying to even now encourage them around uh, women's sports. Uh, to get involved. It's, it's simple. It's 
so yeah, to and women Je- Jennifer, one of our listeners says, uh, well done to your guest. Our guest is uh, Senator Eileen Flynn uh, for bringing up this uh, topic. This isn't just an Irish problem. Uh, several, no. several women's soccer teams in England have made the change in recent years. Jennifer saying it really is a no brainer. Yeah, it is. And it's simple. See, that's my, my, my thing is starting at what we can do. And then go on and campaign for stuff that's harder when it, when it comes to uh, uh, equality in sports for, for women. And when I talk about women, I also mean women from, um, like women say, from the traveller community, uh, uh, black women who want to be involved in, um, in, uh, in the Gaelic sports. Make it all and, inclusive. Make, make yeah, it all my, inclusive. One of my cousins actually play for uh, Carlo um, uh, women's team, and that's really important. Like I have such a passion for women's sports, and unfortunately, I can't play myself <laughs> due to uh, just due to being uh, in a very bad accident when I was very oh. young. But I I get involved. And like even in school, if I'm only filling the water bottles, and I try to try to play, but unfortunately my injuries wouldn't allow me to 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 do so. And I think if a woman has an opportunity to play, like let's encourage our women, let's you know bring equality equality of opportunity. If women want to go on and play county level, uh, international level, why, why can't you do yeah, that? But get we have them involved. Because we there have is to invest at a local the, level. I was looking at research yesterday when you know when mm. I knew you were going to be joining me on the programme. Mm. I mean, one in two girls will drop out of uh, sports by the age of 13. So we yes. really need to do everything that we can to encourage girls to stay in sport. Yeah, but if you look at that, that's when young teenagers feel less confident. Yeah. And and again, let's encourage our women to be confident. Let's make the dark shorts. Let's normalise it. Uh, you know, it's not to single women out, but it's like we have to meet the needs of uh, of of uh, of of women. But again, like I know from speaking to women all up and down the country, that if if a man gets injured, he he gets full fully supported for physio with uh, GP, a consultant whatever it may be, but if that's a woman, she doesn't get that same support. So really it costs uh, women more to get involved in sports than what it does men, where, where men get uh, encouraged to go on and get the free medical uh, m- medical uh, treatment where women don't. Yeah, and we... even here in Ardra, like if a young woman gets injured, you know, the family has to pay out for that. The GAA don't do so. Now, you might get a, a visio or two appointments for free, but that's it. Yeah, well, they need to be on, the, on an equal footing. You've put yeah. your proposal to uh, Minister Thomas Byrne and he's accepted an invitation to come uh, to, to come and meet you all in, in Ardra. He has uh, gone to someone and we must, must uh, touch base with him again. And also to say that Minister Martin... Um, the um, senior minister for um, sports, is, and as a woman as well, she's very interested in our. Uh, Catherine Martin, yeah. yeah, 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 and she is very interested. And in to be fair to Thomas Bourne, he met the group, he spoke to them for like twenty minutes, a half hour, and he was, you know, his wife um, plays uh, Gaelic uh, herself as well. So, like, these are people that know what they're speaking about. And they're also uh, they do want to see positive change for uh, for women, but around the the the, the capital uh, sports grants for equipment, uh, like two weeks ago until the portal day opened on the seventeenth of July, I didn't realise that it was such a complication application yeah. to uh, 
to, to fill in. While we it need to make all that as, as easy as easy as possible. Somebody yeah. says hi, just listening to your caller, Senator uh, Eileen uh, Flynn. Uh, just to let you know, Bantry Blues, uh, ladies, they've already gone ahead yeah. with this initiative and they've changed to dark shorts. We can expect yeah. to see a lot of clubs will follow. The Cork ladies also changed yeah. to dark shorts. So it's starting. It's, it's starting. Yeah, it changed it and I haven't the support to do so. So for me, like, you, you know, the women can go out and buy the black shorts themselves, but it's the principle of the government rolling it out. Yeah, yeah. It's the principle of the government being able to uh, to support it. And I, I, again, I know of some of the clubs who has uh, rolled it out and that's like, obviously that, that's where we got the idea from as well, but it's about the government uh, supporting that. Helping them. Listen, Eileen, yeah. uh, thank you for that. You're enjoying your time as the senator. You are. You're, you're playing a blinder, I have to say. You're the first <sighs> member of the travelling community uh, to become a senator. Are you enjoying it? I, I am. I absolutely love it. it. It's brilliant. And it's brilliant to be able to speak about something different than racism, than, like, and I'm so <laughs> delighted to be on a show and actually speaking about issues yeah. that impact on travellers that you, you get to show that you have so much that you want to, to do as well in politics. Now, while traveller issues is the heart of what I do, it's it's important that I'm allowed to work on uh, uh, other issues as well. Well, you're there to represent so, all, which is fantastic. Listen, I, I try my best. Well, it's you're been a doing pleasure, well, Patricia. Thank you. You're doing well. We'll talk again. Thank you for that, and and thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. Thanks. Bye bye, bye bye. What a lovely lady. That is uh, Senator Eileen uh, Flynn uh, raising uh, an issue that has become a problem for for some uh, girls, and it's it's across all sports. I know Eileen is talking about it from the the GAA, but it has become an issue. But I think we're starting slowly to move with the times and to allow uh, girls that if they want to wear dark or shorts, they should be allowed uh, to wear them. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Bernie's taking your calls. Okay, a lot of commentary coming in in the last hour. The topic we were talking at with uh, Councillor Eileen uh, Flynn who is looking for all of the GAA clubs to introduce dark shorts for all of the girls, for the football teams, for the camogie uh, teams just to get over what can be a stumbling block for some young girls and women uh, when they need to play around um, periods. Now some clubs have been really proactive about this but she reckons that funding is needed particularly for some of the smaller uh, clubs. Nancy and Bantry says that they could wear dark cycling shorts inside their white shorts and surely that wouldn't cost the GAA anything and they wouldn't have to change their kits. number of people pointing out that the Cork ladies football t- team, they changed their shorts earlier this year and uh, somebody says, would you wish best of luck to them in Dublin on a Saturday in the All-Ireland uh, semi-final? And someone else says, the biggest problem with ladies football and camogie is at the top table. They can't seem to agree with one another. <laughs> Somebody obviously in the know. Actually, just on GAA and on Camogie. Remember yesterday we had a dad who contacted us about his 11-year-old uh, daughter who had been in a Cork uh, club playing Camogie, wasn't happy with the level of play that she was getting and decided, well, I don't know whether, she didn't quite decide to leave. She didn't turn up for a number of training practices and then she got excluded from uh, the team. So this dad's decided the daughter still wants to play Camogie, let's move to a different club. And he couldn't get what he was calling a letter of release from the club. Now we've since gotten on to him and we've looked 
looked into what he needs uh, to do and somebody actually uh, we found out that if this young girl hasn't played a competitive match then she can move without any letter of release so we've passed that information on and other information of things that he can do but somebody else who obviously this has happened in their household says if a player is under 16 they must sit, these are obviously the rules of the GAA they must sit out for 46 weeks that's nearly a full year if the player is over 16 they have to sit out for 96 weeks that means they cannot take part in any GAA training or matches during that time at the end of the 46 weeks for the under 16s and the 96 weeks for the over uh, over 16s the new club puts in a submission to the county board requesting a transfer of the player from the old club that will be signed off then at the next county board meeting which of course are held monthly then the player can start with the new uh, club. How do I know all this? That's what I had to do with my son. I didn't get a letter of release from the old club and sorry, I can't discuss our situation on air. Okay, so there is another way around it as well if you want to put in the wait time. Even though I don't think that's going to be quite applicable here if that young girl never played a competitive match. But thank you to the listener who contacted us about that yesterday I just didn't get to it by the close of the programme 0818 103 103 we have been discussing property tax on the programme and this is the call that was made from City Councillor Independent City Councillor Ken O'Flynn he's looking for all old age pensioners to be exempt from the property tax some of your thoughts on that Tom in Rathgormick says the property tax should never ever have been introduced people who've already paid for their homes Homes should not be expected to have to pay again. And that's exactly what happens with the property tax, says uh, Tom. And says, hi, listening to your chat about the local property tax. And I have brought this up on your programme before. It is disgraceful charging us pensioners. We paid a mortgage all of our lives and now we have to pay a tax. Why? Because we own our own home. My house is 52 years old and to be honest it's in need of lots of repair and I simply can't afford the repairs and if I want to get a grant you still need to come up with thousands of euro to back up that grant in order to get the work uh, carried out. Where am I going to get that kind of money living on an old age pension? And there are many, many other people like me out there in the same position. I actually consider myself lucky because I am agile enough, listen to this, to be able to get up on the roof and clear the gutters and to do some power washing. God, and mind yourself getting up on the roof. Um, But anyway, but I'm not capable of doing any other major repair work. And the nerve of the government talking about giving us five euro a week. I've been on to the Thornish and Micheál Martin's office about lead pipes in our estate, all to no avail. Uh, I'm led to believe that he had work done around where he lives. I want it done in my area as well. And that's from Anne, uh, who a very agile older person, but uh, uh, like a lot of other older people that Kenneth Flynn was talking about, struggling just simply to, me- to, uh, to, to make ends meet. And I mentioned active retirement their survey that's out this week showing three in five, particularly those that live just on a state pension, are finding it very, very hard at uh, the moment. And uh, Timmy wants to point out that people with no pension at all have to struggle to pay those bills as well. Uh, so it's not just pensioners are struggling with the local property uh, tax. And then someone has a suggestion for the for the listener yesterday who had no money to bore her own well. She's living outside the, the Bantry area and 
and she's having a problem with the water uh, supply and she says well, the solution would be to bore her own well but she can't afford to do it. She said her neighbour did it but I think it cost about €5,000. Uh, this listener says why doesn't she offer to split the cost of the electricity for the running of the pump with the neighbour and then run an additional pipe from the neighbour's pump to her house? It seems like a simple solution and it would certainly be much cheaper. Yeah, if she gets on well with the neighbour it might be a solution. Thank you for that. I was texted into 086 to 103 103 and then a huge amount of commentary coming in when I started the programme by talking about American citizens in Ireland have been issued with a warning from the US uh, Embassy about their own personal safety and this is in light of recent violent incidents that have happened in uh, Dublin and it led to me talking about the, the Taoiseach who's concerned as well about what's going on on the streets and the fact that he is planning to speak to Drew Harris, the Garda Commissioner, about it and he also revealed that he had uh, impressed uh, on him that having an unarmed police force is something of real value but the Taoiseach previously said he would be open open to arming rank and file Gardaí if the Commissioner asked for permission to do so. So I opened up the the phone lines and the text messages to say how would you feel about having a rank and file Gardaí armed would you feel safer out on the streets if you were to pass Gardaí out on the beach or in their squad cars and that they would be carrying guns and they would be armed some of your reaction to that suggestion Barry in West Cork says violence on the street should have been addressed years ago these thugs should have been dealt with appropriately it's not the fault of members of Angarda Siakona there's no proper punishment for these people when they are caught. Barry says he was in Prague uh, a few years ago and there was police walking around in twos on the beat and every single set of uh, two police officers in Prague had a soldier walking behind them and the soldier was carrying a gun. Barry says, believe me, there was no trouble on the streets in Prague because of that. And actually, that kind of ties in with what Michael has suggested. Michael said, and he's recently written to the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, on this one. And he's suggested that she and the government that they need to temporarily swear in a number of army personnel to assist or accompany members of Angarda Siakona when they're out on patrol and leave them in place until the numbers that are required within the Gardaí until they reach the levels that they want. Michael thinks it would be of huge benefit to the Garda force. Uh, Tim says, Patricia, recruiting or arming more Gardaí won't solve the problem. The Gardaí are handcuffed by the, by the youth justice system. The problem throughout the entire country is that youths have no fear of Gardaí today. Why? Because there's very little consequences for them when they do break the law and get caught. Sure, it's common knowledge that drug dealers are using young people to do their running and their dealing because they know if they're caught, they get a minor slap on the wrist. That needs to change. That's from Tim in Mallow. Another listener says, Hi Patricia, absolutely the Gardaí should carry weapons. They do not look like they can be taken seriously without them. As for Helen McEntee, Minister for Justice, she needs to focus on the state of the justice system in this country. Instead of preaching to people that we all need to pay our TV licence and if we don't, the full rigours of the law will be brought down uh, upon us. Hi Patricia, I don't think arming the Gardaí with anything more than tasers or pepper spray 
would be helpful. Yes, more Gardaí on the beat for sure. But I think there should be residential sentences in the form of the old fashioned borstal or a school type setting where young people might get the knowledge to turn their lives around. I'm not suggesting that they would face very long sentences, but they should have a plan designed for them to facilitate them to gain life skills and are an education. I also believe in some cases parents should be held responsible. As we all know, some young people behaved badly in the knowledge that there would be no consequences for their bad behaviour either before the courts or when they go home to mammy or daddy. Um, Sorry for rambling on a bit. No, you haven't. It's a great text. Thank you for that. Hi, Patricia, with reference to arming the Gardaí. What Garda in uniform would want a gun? At the moment, the force is so over-regulated. Their hands are tied simply trying to do their job. When they do it, they don't get support from the public or from the politicians. As for the court system, I feel it's a joke. GSOC will be inundated with vexatious complaints and just look at the current GSOC system where Gardaí are left waiting for years on a decision on an investigation. Tasers offer a non lethal option and should be examined but knowing this country and how it works that would take years and uh, years and someone else says I know that I would feel a lot less safe if our Gardaí were armed it wouldn't put criminals off look to America that's a perfect example guns actually cause more harm how many have died by just being in the wrong place at the wrong time no guns please hi Patricia we also have an armed force in the form of detectives an armed response unit that is enough Gardaí and Dennis says armed Gardaí would be a burden to the Gardaí because every time they pulled a gun they'd be up before GSOC just look at what happened on the N7 uh, incident um, yeah, and that's, yeah, for the Gardaí. And I, I do feel for the Gardaí that are hauled before GSOC, even though we need to have GSOC uh, as well. But sometimes it does feel like that their hands are being tied uh, because they are so over-regulated. Anyway, just a sample of some of the calls and texts coming into the programme today. Keep them coming. Bernie's taking the calls. 0818 C103 Jobs. Four experienced and fully qualified mechanics are wanted ASAP. That's for work in Middleton. CVs, uh, please, to clearautoservices at gmail.com. Carney Centra, they're out in Ballydesmond. They're looking for a full-time deli manager. 064 775 A TIG welder is needed. It's for the Ring of Skiddy area. Now, you need to have five years' experience in a similar role Call 087-165-0527. And a part-time lorry driver is wanted in the West Cork area. You must hold a C licence. Contact Vincent, please, on 86 83285700. Now, you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Now, last week we had some emails in from agency staff who worked at Cork hospitals right throughout the pandemic, informing us that they still haven't received their pandemic bonus payment. 
18 months after it was first announced, it seems incredible that some workers are still waiting. The Labour Party's workers' rights spokesperson uh, is Senator Marie Sherlock, who has branded it shameful. And uh, Marie joins me on the programme this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning. Good morning to all your listeners. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. And can I just start, seeing as you are with the Labour Party, to say how saddened I was to hear about the death of uh, former Senator Bill Cashin. I don't know if you knew um, Bill. Uh, he joined me many times here on the programme and he was much loved and will be well remembered for the work that he did for people in Kentork and the North Cork area. Absolutely. And our condolences to his, his wife Rita and all his, his family on, on, on his loss. And, and, and I think we're very conscious of party of his his tremendous contribution uh, to the area as a senator uh, over many, many years. So certainly yeah. very saddened to Great hear about guy. his passing. Yeah, may, may he rest in peace. OK, now you've raised this issue last month. Uh, you joined uh, hospital cleaners from Beaumont who were trying to highlight their plight. Do you know at this stage, Marie, roughly how many people are still waiting on this payment? You know, to be honest, we don't because at this stage, the reality is that it's mainly people across um, in nursing homes uh, and smaller organisations who are still waiting. So we know that after uh, that day of action by cleaners in Beaumont and across many other uh, hospitals across the country, there was a deal done, um, uh, delivered in, in large part by SIPTU, the trade union, uh, to ensure that most of those working within hospitals will get their pandemic payment. And I, I, I understand that's been processed. Um, and indeed, some may have got it already. But there are still lots of people in non-unionised workplaces, um, smaller workplaces, who are still waiting. And I think to think that, you know, the sacrifices and the, the enormous risks that they ended up taking both to themselves and to their families um, in going in at a time where there was no vaccines, when there was a huge amount of fear and uncertainty, and to think that they had been still left waiting for that payment is, is absolutely ridiculous, it's shameful. Have so, you received any explanation for the delay? No, we haven't, other than that there's an administrative issue. Like, as in the government, as I understand it, have effectively outsourced the administration of the payments to uh, an external company and we're not clear as to, as to why there is any delay um, but 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 it has been going Okay, you're breaking up yeah, you're just breaking up slightly now you're, you're okay because I know when we looked uh, into that external company it's a company up the north uh, I'm sure this was many months ago when people were still fighting uh, to get their, their payments uh, they were told they the, the workers themselves couldn't liaise uh, with the company it was up to whatever agency they worked for Yeah, or up to their employer and that's it and so we, we've engaged with some, some on, on, on that but look, I think that the, the reality here is that the government needs to step up ensure that the organisation that they're tasked to um, to process these payments actually does their job um, and that, that nobody um, is left waiting for the payment. You know, we're, we're like I said, three years now since the start of the pandemic, more than three years. And it's absolutely shameful that anybody is left waiting because this is about respect. This is about dignity. This is about recognition of those who went in and did, you know, really vital and important work within nursing homes, within hospitals, with you know, on the front line. 
um, in allowing many of the rest of us to be able to stay at home safely and to think that they've been left waiting. Um, and know. is it is it fair to say, uh, Marie, that these are the lowest paid workers? Let's be honest. Absolutely. So these are cleaners, these are catering staff, these are people who are not necessarily, you know, seen um, by, you know, those of us if we're family going into, to, into the nursing homes. They're the people who, you know, they're the backbone. Um, of these places and 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 you know as I say it is about recognising their it's just it's the lowest paid workers that's that's really what we need to highlight here absolutely wherever uh, Marie is unfortunately that's uh, the joys of uh, mobile phones you can get in really good coverage uh, but you also uh, can get in really bad coverage okay but listen just to to say uh, that they are working behind the scenes to try to sort out because as I say we did have uh, emails in last week from uh, people who were working in hospitals who worked right throughout the height of the pandemic. I mean, it just seems absolutely shocking that, uh, you know, so much so much time has gone uh, on and they are still without their payment. Uh, it, it really is uh, dreadful. 0818103103. And we've said it countless times before, when this bonus payment first got mentioned, which was in January of uh, 2022, everyone thought, yeah, fair enough, this is really good. These were people who went in, worked to the coal phase at the start of the pandemic, put their lives on the line. And there was a real kind of a feel-good factor about this. And it was a €1,000 bonus tax-free payment. And everybody felt, you know, that these frontline workers uh, deserved it. But little did we know how long it was going to take. I think it was a full eight months before even the, an initial payment was paid out to anyone. But to, it's, but to think that here we are in July of uh, 2023, so 18 months on, that there are still people fighting uh, for it. It seems incredible. 0818 uh, 103 103. And when we've been talking about the Gardaí and, you know, what's going on on our streets and antisocial behaviour and the Americans being warned about pickpockets in Ireland and how you need to be very, very careful. And kind of, I suppose it's a word of warning for all of us when you're out and about holding on to whatever money you have have with you. But I read a piece that's out today. Actually, it's a, it's a survey that has been, was conducted by iReach and it's for the insurer, uh, Royal London, Ireland. And they did a piece of research trying to see do people still carry money? And if they do, how much money? And is it different between the different age groups? And this is this whole argument and discussion about will we ever see a cashless society and are we moving towards a cashless society? Well, it seems the majority of people carry some kind of cash whenever they leave uh, their their homes. Now, but when you dig into the figures, a third of those that were surveyed say they don't like to carry large amounts of cash with them. Uh, for the majority uh, would carry no more than €20. Euro. Younger people, when they were asked, they said they never carry any cash uh, at all. But this survey found 80% of people carry some kind of cash with them on a daily basis, even if it is less than uh, €20. Euro. Now, banks are consistently trying to discourage all of us from using cash. We're constantly being encouraged to do our banking online, to do all of our payments, either on a mobile phone or, you know, electronic payments, tap and go. The reason for that, of course, is from the bank's point of view, it's cheaper for banks to avoid handling 
cash. So the less cash we use, the bigger the profits for the banks. But this survey is showing that Irish people, we continue to have a very strong attachment to uh, cash. And of course, it was very much reflected. Wasn't it this time uh, last year that AIB were forced to do the U-turn? Remember when they proposed withdrawing cash services and they were taking ATM machines out of 70 of their branches and a lot of them were here in Cork and there was absolute uproar about it. And in fairness, they listened to the people and AIB did reverse that decision. So even then we were talking about what this strong attachment that we, the Irish people, seem to have to having some kind of cash on us. The Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, of course, he has promised that there will be an access to cash law and he's promising that's going to be introduced next year, which will make sure that everyone, regardless of their age or their means, if they want to deal with cash and if they want to have access to cash, that you will be able to in this country once that law is uh, passed. The European Union, they've published a package of reforms last month and and some of the measures there was also to preserve the role of cash. So it's obviously something not just in this country, obviously in other European countries as well. People like the idea of having access to cash and they don't want to do all of their payments electronically. This survey found that just one in five people in Ireland never carry any uh, cash and the company who ran the survey, said it emphasises the importance of cash to people in this country. Men, by the way, are more likely than women to never carry cash. And of those who do carry cash, men are the ones who have a tendency to have the higher amounts. We, the ladies, will carry a smaller amount that we like to have the cash in our pocket. The survey found that the top five reasons when people were asked, why do you need to have cash on you all of the time? The top five reasons were to pay for small daily grocery items, to pay service providers who prefer cash. There are some businesses that only want cash. Also, people like to have cash to buy their lunch or to get a takeaway coffee or a tea. People also, and this is one of mine, always like to have cash so you can give tips. I always prefer to give the tip in cash to make sure that it gets to the right person. And also, and I was glad to see this on the top five list, people like to have some kind of cash on them in case that they're stopped and they'd like to donate to a charity. Half of people aged 18 to 24, no surprise there, say they never carry uh, cash. So 50% of younger people say they never carry cash. When people over 55 were asked, only about 10% said they don't carry uh, cash. So Royal London, Ireland, who conducted the the survey, uh, they say that despite the increasing digital nature of Irish banking and payment systems in recent years, they can see from the survey's findings that cash still plays an important role in Ireland society and its in and its economy, with many people relying on it when going out and about doing their day-to-day uh, r- r- routines. And actually that survey results really balances with the European Central Bank survey. They did a survey last year that showed the majority of Irish consumers in store transactions were in cash. And uh, their survey is giving weight to the assertion that the younger you are, 
the less likely you are to carry cash. So we will probably one day become a cashless society, but it will be as those young people start to age because they will be completely out of the habit of ever using cash. But it looks like for now, cash is still king in this country. 0818103103. Bernie, taking your calls. Cork today on C103. Now, while we may not have got the result from our opening match at the Women's World Cup last week that we wanted, the one thing we did get was a brave and excellent display of football and the Irish team showed why they deserve to be part of the World Cup finals. To find out how Denise O'Sullivan's family are getting on and how they're preparing to watch today's match, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by her sister Sinead. Uh, Good morning to you Sinead. Morning, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm very well. Uh, firstly, go back to um, last week. How did you all feel watching Sinead, uh, watching Denise last week? Oh, my God. So proud. So, so proud. A nervous for her, mixed feelings, but overall, very proud. Did, excitement is, excitement is unreal. Did you get to speak with her after the match? Yeah, we actually did speak that night. Because time different, you know. So we spoke kind of next day, and she was brilliant. She was she was fantastic. Was she disappointed with the yellow card? I think I think so. But you know, in games like this, you have to take it and you have to get on with it, don't you? you yeah, know? that's it. That's it. That's it. And a lot of people saw it was the big injustice of of uh, the match. So it's 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 Canada today. Canada today. Yeah, yeah, they're the reigning Olympic uh, champions. They are. How, they are. How, talk to me how you feel the Irish team will will get on. I think they'll be fantastic, if I'm honest. Um, not because she's our sister or the girls, but, you know, you've seen the way they played. If they play like they played in the second half, when they were playing Australia, I think they have a very good chance. I think so. They're yeah. very strong. Yeah. You, they're very, they're very, they're a tough team. They're, 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 they're going to they're going to do well, I think. Fingers crossed. Now we're all behind them, and we're going to stay. We're going to stay positive. That's it. And I know I was trying to get the latest um, because Louise Quinn she had a foot injury after the Australia uh, match, but she did train. So we don't know whether she's going to play or not. Yeah, she, I think she, I think that's I think she's okay to play. Yeah, is she? Oh, good. Oh, I good. think she is. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, by now it would have came out. So I think. Yeah, I think she's okay. Yeah, and lots, lots of people I can see uh, Sinead asking about Denise's uh, shin. Uh, is, that, is she fully recovered? Yeah, it's recovered. Um, still, I say bruised, you know, and probably still sore. But um, overall, yeah, she's great. You've seen the way she played Australia uh, last week. You wouldn't, yeah. even, you wouldn't even have thought she'd an injury, but she's, she's, it's good. It's good. Thank God. And isn't there a great following of Irish people in Australia? And that must be really helping the team. Yeah, there's, sure, there's thousands out there, isn't there? There is. Thousands. The fan base is unbelievable. You see it all over social media. Oh, it's great. Like, And they reckon today Ireland will definitely outnumber the Canadians. I think so. Oh, God, I, not, not that I think so. They're 100% will, I think. Yeah, yeah, because I don't think you as know? many Canadians have travelled. Australia is like the second early, you know. <laughs> All the Irish are over there, so. I, I can hear the noise in the background. You're not somewhere quiet watching no, the match. No, we're up Murphy's <laughs> Rock now, so... Um, okay. Yeah, that's um, a bar up the north. I know it, um, I know it well. You know, you, yeah, exactly, yeah. so... 
you know, they're fabulous. They throw great entertainment. And so there's, it's starting off well now. They, people are raving and um, people have their hats on, their flags out, their jerseys on, blooms are out, banners are up. So it's, all ready to go. Yeah, it's, 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 and is, is Denise aware of what it's like? Is she asking you about what it's like back here at home? We're kind of more informing her, you know. We're yeah. on to her and she's seen a lot of photos and pictures and videos of everything. So she's delighted. She she really is, you know. You know, really. And and watching it, I mean, will, will you be, will will you, will all the family, will you be nervous, Rex, for the 90-odd minutes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sick as it is, so imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's only natural, isn't it, to be this nervous? I mean... And how, I saw lovely photographs of your of your mom on on the paper and that. How is how is, is she, how is she doing? Because it's tough on the mothers. It is, you know that's you know, and that's her youngest. That's her baby out of ten. So I think that makes it that place that little bit emotional and more kind of nervous for her. But um, she's excited, so she's excited. And she's excited for Denise. And burst. she knows this is Denise's dream. She has her dream has come true, and you know this is it now. And bursting with pride as any Irish mammy would be. Proud, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Come here, Sinead. When when do you remember Denise? When did she first start to kick a football? Um, I would say three. Three years of age. I would have been I would I am ten years older, so yeah, I would have been thirteen, so when she was about three, I think. And did she start to show skills early on? Did she start to show kind of... Yeah, skill, like really good footballing skills. Yeah, of course. Oh, my God, yeah. Jeez, I think uh, three, four, five, six. When she came to about seven then, seven, eight. After that, then we knew that this was her. She was going to make it. And, of course, she would have been the generation that would have been playing with the boys. Yeah, because that's who she played with. She started off, she played, I suppose, I suppose you play in your green, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then she went to New Farm after that. That was the boys under 11, I think. And then after that, then she went to the women's team. So, yeah. Yeah, and I sometimes think playing with the boys kind of toughens you up a bit. Well, of course it yeah. does. I mean, she's five brothers, so she was toughened <laughs> up before she went there. <laughs> so she was well able at that stage. But, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, listen, uh, enjoy as best you can. And we really have fingers, toes and everything uh, crossed. But uh, tell her, she's, she's doing everybody so proud. She really Thank is. you very much. You're very she's, good. She's Thank a credit you. to your family. Listen, God Thanks. bless. Mind yourself. Take care. Take bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. 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 That is from a very busy, uh, noisy uh, Murphy's Rock uh, bar. That is... Sinead O'Sullivan the very proud one of the older sisters of uh, Denise O'Sullivan and of course that match is on at uh, one o'clock today they need to get a result we have to have a result it would be fantastic if we had a win and then of course all eyes tomorrow will be on 11 o'clock tomorrow morning when Australia take on uh, Nigeria but we really want this team to get out of this section and uh, to make it on to the next round so the best of luck to our girls or as somebody told me last week stop calling girls the women ladies in green 0818 103 103 actually I saw a text come in for uh, Peter Dow 
Caldwell just to say Peter's not with us he's still on his holidays but he will be back with us next week so if you hold off on any texts and just resend them to us uh, next week because I don't want to uh, to make sure that you get your questions um, uh, answered uh, Jim says best of luck to Denise O'Sullivan and all of her teammates Denise is a tough bit of stuff who grew up playing against the boys and wouldn't even come into her dinner because <laughs> she wanted to kick a ball around uh, says uh, Jim yeah and it's incredible to think that it's such an early age and of course that's what happens if if if, if children at an early age develop a skill and if then if they're encouraged kind of ties in what we were talking about with Senator Eileen Flynn uh, earlier on and, and her focus was very much the, the young girls playing uh, GAA and getting the black shorts so that they try to try and get them when they hit puberty and teenage years to make them as comfortable as possible when they go out to play but if you encourage them and that's obviously Denise had fantastic encouragement not just from her family but from the teams that she played uh, with and that's what we need to do to stop that stat that came out um, last year showing that one in two girls, it's not the same for boys, but one in two girls by the age of 13 drop out of any sports. So they'll keep going at the younger age. But then when they get to that puberty stage, we need to do everything that we can to make them comfortable while they're playing, but also to encourage them and to give them the skills uh, to keep, you know, to keep going and make sure that they have the facilities available uh, to them. So, yeah. And as she, Jimmy, you're making the point that I made uh, to her sister, Sinead, when you when the girls play with boys, it kind of toughens them up a little bit. Uh, it really is uh, great. So best of luck to the team. 0818 103 103. Bernie taking your call. Seeing as we've been uh, wishing the very best of luck to the Irish team and the ladies down under. Can I also wish the best of luck to five Cork athletes who are participating this week in the British Transplant Games which are going to be held in uh, Coventry along with fellow athletes from Transplant Sports Ireland. The five Cork athletes will be taking part in the four-day sports competition amongst heart, lung, liver, kidney, pancreas and bone marrow transplant recipients there's also kidney dialysis patients taking part and uh, they come from all over the UK Northern Ireland uh, and even Australia and live donors are also competing at these games and Team Ireland actually has three living donors who are competing in Coventry and I think that's great to have the living donors involved but the five who've made the from Cork who've made uh, Team Ireland include heart recipient Mick O'Shea now Mick is from uh, Mallow and he unfortunately was struck down with a viral infection back in 2017 and it resulted in his heart not functioning correct, uh, correctly. Imagine getting a viral infection and going from being perfectly healthy to suddenly discovering that your heart is working at less than uh, 10%. Uh, he was put on medication. That didn't work. Uh, so he ended up spending months in hospital and then he got the greatest gift of all from a stranger when he got a heart uh, a transplant. And in 2019 he got involved with the World Games in uh, Newcastle and that was his first experience of the games so he is over in Coventry Owen Crudge is from uh, Clonakilty he received a kidney transplant in September of 2021 and he says he hasn't looked back he'd actually been on a transplant list for what he described as four very tough years he played rugby and he was generally fit when he was younger so once he got his kidney transplant he was just longing to get back into team sports and when he did got back on his feet he discovered transplant 
football and that's what he's playing in and Mike Johan we've spoken with Mike on the programme many times Mike is from Ross Garbury he received a liver transplant long time ago well now it was December of 2007 he'd been ill for many years he had a congenital autoimmune condition he's now Mike has been a lifelong sports enthusiast of course he played football for his local Carberry Rangers uh, his school and for the Carberry teams he coaches football and basketball at St Michael's Secondary School in Ross Garbury and he's also completed in soccer, basketball, darts, badminton, archery, rowing. He's just an all-round sports fanatic. His sports in Coventry um, this week are the 5K road race, shot put, discus and javelin. Best of luck to Mike. Patrick O'Driscoll is from Ahiol, also in West Cork. He delivered transplant in 2016 and he only recently joined the first ever Irish transplant soccer team following their successful silver medal placing in the football championships in Birmingham. The team are now lining out for the first time at the British Transplant Games in Coventry. And then Charlie Ryan is the fifth Cork member. He lives in Cove. He received a liver transplant, same year as Mike Johan actually, 2007. He joined the uh, Team Ireland the following year and he went to Germany for his first World uh, Games. He's since attended the Games all over the world and he uh, enjoys the camaraderie and uh, the fun. Uh, he, but he says that every, as does every single other player on Team Ireland, Charlie honours the donor at each and uh, every game in Coventry. Charlie will be taking part in darts. He's known, by the way, as the king of the darts. He'll also be doing tempion bowling and lawn uh, bowls. Okay, so we wish all of them, particularly the Cork competitors, but we wish all of Team Ireland the best of luck at the Transplant Games in uh, Coventry this week. We will let you know if we get any results uh, across the week. 0818103103. Bernie is taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. The Independent Review of the Child and Adult Mental Health Services, CAMS. Uh, it's just, the the report is just, it's a 140-page uh, report, so obviously I haven't been able to read through all of the report. I'm just looking at some of the key findings uh, from it. And it is just shocking to see in print that uh, it is saying that the state that it cannot currently provide an insurance to all parents or guardians in all parts of Ireland that their children have access to a safe, effective and evidence-based uh, service. That is such a shocking, shocking uh, statement. Now this is the report from uh, Dr Susan Finnerty. She's the Inspector of Mental Health Services and it covers uh, last year, 2022, and part of uh, 2023. Uh, giving the findings, Dr. Finnity has recommended the immediate and independent regulation of CAMS by the Mental Health Committee, and she is recommending that to ensure the state and the HSE act swiftly to implement the governance and clinical reforms needed and to guarantee that all children have access to evidence based safe services. And I mean, when families get to the stage that they need, uh, they the child and adult mental health service when they get to the stage of need, needing CAMS many of them are in crisis at that stage and to discover now that they're being told even if they do get into uh, CAMS that they may not be getting a safe uh, and effective uh, service uh, it really is frightening the review found a lack of governance in some areas they say that's contributing to 
ineffective and unsafe CAMs. They're saying a failure to manage risk, a failure to fund and recruit key staff and a failure to look at then the alternative models of trying to provide service, particularly when recruitment becomes difficult. It found the vast majority of the teams were significantly re- uh, below the recommended staffing level. Some, for example, were 50% below the recommended levels. How are CAMs teams meant to keep going if they don't even have uh, the staff? Now, there should be 16 CAMs teams when it was put in place. We had 16 areas were identified around the country. But uh, nationally, the inspectors found just nine and those nine are in various stages of development. Some teams were not monitoring antipsychotic medication uh, in accordance with international standards. That's a massive worry for parents. If a child is put on antipsychotic medication, it really does need to be uh, reported. And the report is showing that that is not uh, happening and that there's no national standards in place when a child or an adolescent goes on an antipsychotic drug. The review took a look at a sample of 10 files, but interesting that during the review, the inspectors were formed that one team had lost 140 files. Now, they were subsequently found, but when they were initially, went, when they went looking for sample files, they were told 140 had gone missing, which just seems incredible. The review found unacceptable variations in the number of children on waiting list and the length of waiting list varied depending on where in the country you lived. It's a postcard lottery and I know there will be parents listening to me talking about this and some of their children are on those waiting lists just to get in to see the team in uh, CAMS and that there was that was there was this resulted in a lack of staff to conduct the therapeutic intervention so we don't even know you know how critical some of these cases are dr finity said some staff were working beyond the contracted hours and she admitted that some were burnt out and frustrated and that's very very understandable if they're working when they don't even have the full team. Uh, some teams had no psych- consultant psychiatrist. How can you have a mental health team without a consultant a psychiatrist? The work then was being covered by a number of different locums but the problem there is you don't get continuity of care and you'll have one psychiatrist who'll feel a particular drug is good another psychiatrist mightn't agree with that method of uh, treatment so the, the young person is not getting the continuity of care that they that they deserve. The report reveals that some CAMS teams told inspectors they're so frustrated to the point they don't even bother to escalate the risk anymore because they see there's absolutely no point. Most CAM services didn't have an information technology system that will manage appointments. Um, Dr Finity also noticed the lack of HSE National Director of Mental Health had contributed also noted that the lack of a HSE National Director of Mental Health that obviously contributed to the difficulties because there's nowhere up the ladder if you're having problems to go if you don't have a National Director of uh, Mental Health. The review uh, also noted that CAMS depends heavily on a model of care which places the onus on a single profession, the consultant psychiatry, and that all clinical responsibility rests with them. And then if you don't have a consultant psychiatrist assigned to a team, who does the clinical responsibility rest with? It describes it as an outdated model, particularly when you look at best international practice. It points out that there's no ring-fenced budget for CAMS, which has to compete then with the other uh, health service demands. And it goes back, doesn't it? We've always known that mental health in this country, they've always been known as kind of the Cinderella of the services when it comes to funding. And it looks like our children and adults now are being uh, tagged in with that. And these, of course, this particular review 
is part of the statutory duty of the Inspector of Mental Health and the report said it was very, very cognizant of the findings of the Mackesy uh, Review. Remember the Mackesy Review, that was published at the start of last year and they were examining the care of more than 1,300 children who were who had attended the HSE-run South Kerry CAMS uh, service. And out of that Mackesy Review, they found that 46 children had actually suffered significant harm. And because of that, a national review of CAMS then was promised by the government. But it really is shocking and will make for a very uncomfortable reading, I think, for people within the uh, HSE. As I say, that 140-page uh, review uh, I'll get to look at it in more detail this afternoon, but it's just been released uh, today and certainly not the news that you would expect to see, unfortunately. 0818 uh, 103 103. And just on a couple of other topics. Oh, we were talking about cash and um, cashless societies and how reports are out. Uh, this latest study is out showing that we, the Irish, we, see, we still seem to like having money in our pocket. Ryan said, Patricia, I prefer cash. It keeps me more focused not to overspend as I'm one of the last big spenders. And a lot of people will say that, that if you have cash, you know how much you have on you, you know how much you have to spend. And then if it's all gone, it's all gone. So yeah, I can understand why, Ryan, you prefer to deal with uh, cash if you are one of those people prone to overspending. A West Cork listener says, I carry some cash in case my card doesn't work or in case the cash machine uh, doesn't work. The internet can be down and yeah, that happens. How often do you go in to take money out of a cash machine and it's not uh, working? So for that reason, this West Cork listener said, always like to have some cash in my uh, pocket. Mary in West Cork says, if parents are going cashless, how do you give a few bob to the children to get a few uh, sweets? Well, I'll tell you, Mary, there are a number of children now and they have have their own Revolut card. They have their own little cash card that the parents and the Revolut is good because the parents can see what they're spending. But yeah, I've seen children inside in the shop buying their sweets and, and tapping and going. But does it give children an understanding of money? I often wonder about that. And I know for grandparents who like to give money to grandchildren, that's one of the reasons I think older people particularly say that they still like to deal in uh, cash. And it was interesting in that study, people say to give money to charities as well, that they like to have the few bob on them so that they can give money to charity. And then Bernie found this, he was doing the rounds on Facebook and I'm crediting somebody by the name of Paul Lennon, but I think this... This kind of sits well with me when you look at this push to try to move us away from from cash and deal only with the banks and electronic uh, payments. And of course, as, as I mentioned, uh, the banks like us to do everything on card or on your mobile fo- phone uh, because obviously it saves them, it makes money for them, but it also saves the money because it costs them to actually handle cash. So they prefer if we would all do all of our transactions electronically. So this is something just to get you thinking about cash versus electronic payments. Uh, and this was up on Facebook. Why should we pay cash everywhere with banknotes instead of a card? I have a 50 euro banknote in my pocket. I go into a restaurant and I pay for my dinner with it. The restaurant owner then uses that 50 euro note to pay for his laundry bill. The laundry owner then uses the note to pay the local barber. The barber then will use the note to buy his shopping. After an unlimited number of payments, it's still a 50 euro note which has fulfilled its purpose to everyone who used it for payment and the bank has jumped dry for every cash payment transaction made. But if I go into the restaurant and pay for my dinner on my card and do it electronically... 
card bank fees for my payment transaction will be charged to the seller at 3%, so around €1.50. And so the fee will be one fifty for each further payment transaction that the owner or the laundry or the payments of the owner of the laundry shop or the payments to the barber shop would then went into the shop. If all of them pay electronically, there could be, say, after 30 transactions, that initial €50 euro will remain as only €5 euro, and the remaining €45 euro will, guess what, become the property of the bank thanks to all the digital transactions and uh, fees. P.S. It's now four months since I stopped using my card and I have to say I love it, says Paul. More human interactions, more questions, more conversations about why cash needs to be everyone's priority. No one needs to know where I shop, how much I spend or what I actually buy. I am not okay with the digital currency. No uh, way. That's a great piece. Uh, thank you for that. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Churchtown South Community Council. They're holding their inaugural five mile road race this Thursday at 8 pm. You can call 086 815 to book. Our entries will be taken on the night. Refreshments will be served afterwards in the hall. The West Cork Autism Support Group is holding an autism event also on this Thursday in Clonakil GGAA Complex. It starts at half past seven. Speakers include a clinical psychologist, an occupational therapist, a play therapist, and the aim of the event is for parents to learn ways to support their children and also give them the opportunity to meet other parents. Entry is free, raffle on the night with great prizes and proceeds will go to the autism class in the local national school. More details on West Cork Autism Support Group on Facebook. And the first amnesty concert since COVID in memory of Joan McGrath and Don Pollard will take place tonight at 8 o'clock. It's in Kilgariff Church in Clon and donations will be accepted to uh, Amnesty. And Duhallow IFA will hold a barbecue in Bob's on the Green in Canturk Golf Club on Friday next at half past eight and it's to celebrate 50 years of service to Duhallow Farmers. Court today on C103. And Dan is WhatsApping us this morning to say, Hi Patricia, my latest scam text just received and Dan got the AIB due to unusual activity the card has been placed on hold please visit and there's an AIB support info.com and follow the on-screen instructions to reactivate and Dan says I suppose I better click on the link and enter all my details and then he puts some laughing faces afterwards yeah I got the, actually I got the same one yesterday or the day before I don't bank with AIB so I knew straight away that it was a scam and of course you straight away can tell when it's dot com uh, if you're get, getting anything from AIB not that they would ask you to react Activate your card in that way, but it would be dot ie. But uh, yeah, just delete, delete, delete. Anybody offer advice to this listener who says, "Hi, Patricia. Um, I want to highlight. I'm a resident in Mallow Town, and beside me is a derelict. Is I live beside derelict council land uh, that has some trees growing. Some of these trees are overgrowing onto my property." I'm the property that I'm renting and the front of the branches are so overgrown they're almost touching off my front window. I've highlighted this with my property management team. I've also rang the council numerous times. Nobody has phoned me back. Appreciate your help, uh, please. 
Oh, that's a, does anybody know, um, again, the fact that it's council responsibility because it's on council uh, land, I don't know if you contacted any of the local Mallow councillors to see they, the councillors are great to pick up the phone. They know who to ring and what's the right department to get uh, through. Uh, failing that, you know, I'm a great fan of the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Keep on to the council, keep on to them about about how annoying it is and the fact that it's brushing off your front windows means it's probably affecting the light into your house uh, as well. And the fact you're renting, I'm disappointed to think that the property management company won't get onto the council on your behalf. But like, there's, you know, people don't want to be um, causing any upset to a property management uh, team for, for fear you'd be asked to leave or the house is going to be sold or, or whatever. So I can kind of understand that. But has that happened to anybody else where... The over, I, I know on my own property, but it was a privately owned house. I had to get on to the person owning the house uh, to cut down the trees because we were having a problem in that the trees were growing so high on a house bordering ours that it was actually interfering with our satellite. <laughs> our satellite. And the guys from Sky twice had come and moved the satellite dish and told us that was it. Like, we can't move it any further back. Uh, and the trees had to come down. So in fairness, the guy who owned the house, we, we got the problem sorted. Um, but uh, obviously w- with the council, it's a different different issue. The council it should be responsible for trees that are overgrowing growing on their own uh, land. So uh, if anybody can help with any words of advice, because I'm sure you're not on your own. I'm sure that's happened to others as well. Any words of advice, give Bernie a call and we can pass it on to this listener who's contacted us 0818-103-103. On the Cashless Society, Sean in LEP, along with a lot of other people are making the same point, that uh, prefer to use cash. Sean says it's an age thing with him. He says it's like what a lot of people are saying it's easy to keep track on your finances and actually the report did show that the majority of people like to carry uh, cash there was only 10% of people over the age of 55 whereas in the younger age group 50% never ever carry cash but the older people like to um, hang on to know that they've cash in their pocket and they do it for that reason to make sure that they don't uh, overspend on the lawlessness and the antisocial behaviour and do we need to arm Gardaí that we spoke about earlier on Tom says it's the prison system he feels needs to change in this country would others agree he would suggest that rather than the prison system we have where we just lock people up and then just let them sit around getting bored we should have things like secure farms and make them work for their keep. And I don't know if he's saying this about younger people or is he saying in, in general about everybody inside in uh, prison. I saw the Limerick prison, the ladies' Limerick prison looks quite stunning. I have to say it's all ensuite rooms. They've got a, hair, what, a hairdressing salon in there. They've got a gym. It looks very, very Im- impressive indeed looking at the photographs on the papers uh, today. But some of the, the, the prison where women have been held in, in the past badly needed to be upgraded. Nobody wants anybody living living in uh, squalor but it's it's a great job has been done I have to say with the ladies uh, women's prison in Limerick but anyway it's uh, prison reform uh, Tom says would people be in agreement to have like secure farms and have people working for their keep what would be your view on that 0818 103 103 and let me bring in what hopefully will be some uh, good news when we get to the budget in October. This will be the budget for next year. Uh, Leo Varadkar has confirmed that energy supports, both for households and for businesses, will definitely now be included in the budget. There's been a lot of talk around this. I saw uh, the Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, suggesting that it was likely, but now we have the Taoiseach confirming it. He has said families and companies will need financial help over 
next uh, winter. As he says, and he knows that the energy bills are not falling fast enough to protect people. The budget is expected to include a mix of universal payments and then there'll be targeted measures to help people with rising costs and more money will also be pumped into retrofitting uh, homes. When he was asked about the energy rebates for householders, he said yesterday, I think it's pretty obvious that people will need help with their energy bills this coming uh, winter. And he says the details will be included in the October budget. He said their expectation is that electricity and gas prices will fall. But the reality is they won't fall enough or fast enough between now and next winter when we all start to use more electricity, we all start to use uh, more gas. Uh, And he says that's the simple reality of it. So he said there is a very, very strong case for support to be given to households and to businesses. He said the government has still not made a final decision on how payments will be made. And he said the easy option is through the energy uh, credits, what they did last year. And he said you simply take it off the electricity bill and then it applies universally. It applies to every single household in the country. And he said, as we did previously, that was also then backed up with a targeted element which recognised the poorer households that they might need additional help more than just the €200. And he said, I know there will be a desire as well to do a bit more in helping people with their energy efficiency. So he said, with that in mind, he said between 30 and 40,000 homes have been retrofitted and I have to agree with him I'll use his own words he said, that's pretty good going and it is and he's encouraging uh, people who are not entitled to say a free retrofit he's encouraging them that there are grants available particularly for solar power and he's saying to people who can't afford it please look into those uh, grants the Taoiseach said any extra supports or one-off payments uh, will be funded by the proceeds of the windfall tax on uh, energy uh, companies so it looks like he'll stick with the universal payments on the electricity. And there was some criticism of that last year saying that whether you were a pauper or whether you were a prince, every single household in the country got the €200 and there was was three or four of them uh, was paid out earlier this year and across the winter of uh, last year. And there was some criticism at the time saying it should be more targeted. It should be given to families who are really struggling. It should be given to old age pensioners, people on disability, widows, you know, just really right across the board of people who needed uh, the help. But at the time, they they knew there was an urgency. The electricity bills were gone sky high. So the easiest way was to make it a universal payment and to pay it out to everyone so that everyone who had an electricity meter fit to their house, everybody got the various 200 euros. And the reason why it was done at the time was they said it was the speed and it was the easiest thing. But obviously now there isn't that emphasis of uh, speed and they could be more targeted but of course by targeting and just going say for people who are on social welfare or just targeting people who are under a certain income you're going to miss out on a lot of people what Leo Varadkar always talks about the squeezed middle householders who may appear to be doing very well you know two incomes coming into the house they own their own house they may be uh, or they may be struggling with a very large uh, mortgage or they may be struggling paying very high rents that you don't see the perception. All you see is, oh, that's a family doing well with uh, two incomes uh, coming in. And they are the ones who also desperately needed that dig out with the electricity. So I can understand why 
the universal nature of it is so important. The downside to the universal nature, of course, will be there will be households who don't need the €200 and they are automatically going to uh, get it. That will always be the downside uh, of it. But at least now it has been confirmed because people will already be starting to worry because people are already struggling to pay the summer electricity bills and gas bills and even though they're using less their bills are still so much higher than they would have been say this time last year or this time uh, two years ago you can only begin to imagine how people are concerned about what the bills are going to be like uh, in the winter time we were cushioned last winter and early spring with those 200 euro energy uh, credits so it looks like they're going to go down the same route. Now, he, he's not saying it's going to be set at €200 euro, and he's not saying how many of those credits he's going to give. Only time will tell. But he has confirmed there will be energy supports for both householders and for businesses. 0818 103 103. Bernie, taking your call. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103. And our Hours to Protect feature which we run every Friday morning at about 11.45 this week, the Hours to Protect. We're going to be speaking to a marine environmental charity who are passionate about saving our seas and our sea creatures from plastic pollution and they do that through regular fun beach cleaning. We'll find out more about that on our Hours to Protect uh, feature uh, this uh, Friday. Now a new satellite branch of the Cork Samaritans is to open in West Cork in the coming months with two information nights being held this week. One tonight at the Celtic Ross Hotel in Roscarbury and tomorrow night an information night will be held at O'Donovan's Hotel in Clonakilty to talk about the plans for the West Cork Samaritans. I'm joined by John Spencer and John is Director of the Samaritans in Cork. Uh, good afternoon to you, John. Good afternoon. And you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Firstly, where will the West Cork location, where will it be situated? It's situated in uh, the town of Clonakilty. We've uh, been lucky to secure uh, good premises there and they're currently underway in preparing the premises and having the phones installed. So that's where the satellite will be. So, so, what, so, so explain to us what will happen at that particular centre. It will be very similar to uh, the other 22 Samaritan branches that there are uh, in Ireland. Um, but it's the opportunity for us to expand uh, in our, to recruit uh, more volunteers from West Cork. And that's uh, where we think there are a number of people who would uh, like to volunteer with us. But the journey, for example, from Clonakilty or Skibbereen into Cork City is a long one, yeah. uh, particularly in the winter. And so we've decided from the Cork branch that has been uh, listening and providing emotional support for over 50 years now in Cork to expand uh, to the west. And we were lucky to secure the, um, the, the premises in Clonakilty. And there we will provide uh, our telephone service. Uh, which we provide in Cork 24-7. Initially, we won't be providing it 24-7 in Clonakilty, but we will be open, we hope, uh, for the hours where there's very high demand from our callers. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, so the drive now is on, uh, obviously, John, to get those new volunteers to work out of the, the Clonakilty uh, Centre. Talk to me about what makes a good Samaritan. What makes a good Samaritan? A great question, uh, Patricia. Um, I think there are probably uh, three 
kind of key things. One uh, of those is people who are empathetic. Um, so the ability to listen uh, and to, because listening alleviates distress and helps people to reach better understandings of their situation. People who can uh, maintain confidentiality. Our service is confidential. We don't share our calls with anybody. People who can bring a non-judgmental attitude. We want people to be able to talk to us without fear of prejudice or rejection. And we want to enable people to make their own decisions wherever possible. And I suppose the core of this is human contact, which is giving people time and undivided attention uh, to allow them to explore uh, and share the emotional needs, because we believe that reduces distress and despair. Do you provide training? We do. Uh, we provide training. The, we're hoping that um, the training for the Clonakilty satellite will begin uh, sometime around towards the end of August, the beginning of September. We haven't quite got the dates firmed up. That depends on, on the demand. Uh, but that's when we're planning. Um, and the training is over six weeks. Uh, we do that face-to-face. -face, so people come together and it's for three hours uh, each session. And that explores every aspect of what Samaritans do. Uh, it's call taking, how we manage calls, how we deal with people who are distressed, people who may be suicidal, and people who bring to us a whole range of other issues that, uh, that distress them. OK, and then once somebody passes all the training and, 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 they're, re and they're ready to go and they're up and running and they're working as uh, Samaritans, John, I assume there's ongoing support because some of those calls must be and can be quite distressing. They are, they can be. And we have very good support in place uh, for our volunteers. So a volunteer never does a duty alone. There are always a minimum of two volunteers on duty at the same time. That's because if there are difficult calls, they can support each other at that time. And we provide 24-hour support through a day leader structure. So after each duty, uh, a volunteer debriefs to their day leader. They share their calls. They can talk about them. And if a call is particularly distressing for the volunteer, then there is support that is ongoing uh, after after the after the duty we also have after the training has been completed we have a system of mentoring so new volunteers don't go into the duty room alone they go in with a mentor who sits with them who does duties with them who is there to talk about their calls with them and that mentor for many of us uh, is is an ongoing mentor in our Samaritan journey I imagine friendships, good friendships are, are formed amongst Samaritans, John. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And we, we have a very vibrant branch in, uh, in Cork um, and we, we can see no reason why we won't have a vibrant satellite in West Cork. And we do have other events. I mean, obviously we have some social get-togethers, but we also have programmes of ongoing training when volunteers come together, we look at particular subjects. Volunteers can set the, that agenda as well. They can say, "This is what we, uh, this is what we want to talk about." And then we um, we we do those in in sort of probably three or four um, sessions a year. 
Okay, so it's good. To, it's good, great to hear that about uh, the training and and the support. I think that is obviously very important for anybody listening yeah. to us at the moment, um, uh, uh, considering it. And like everybody is aware of Samaritans and the phone service you, you provide, but I think people may not be aware. It would be aware. You go out into the community as well. We do. We do um, a lot of outreach. People may have seen us in West Cork. Uh, we go to. Um, Farmers markets. We go to Clonakilty market, Skibbereen market. We've been down to Bantry market. We also do uh, visits to schools. Uh, we give talks in schools. Uh, we do a whole range of other sort of social events. We were at the recent Steam Fair in in Shannon. We were um, on the street there in Clonakilty on the Old Time Fair Day. So we're out and about in in the community. Absolutely. It's it's very important that people can come to us and find out what we do. And for people considering volunteering, John, is there an upper and lower age range? We would, uh, yes, I mean, I think there's no upper age range, but I think uh, we we only take volunteers over 18. Okay, but there's no upper, you you don't, you don't cancel people at 65 or 66. Totally. No, absolutely not. And, and everybody's welcome. It's a diverse group of people uh, from all walks of life and all ages. That's and, brilliant. Uh, the more diversity, the greater the, the vibrancy in the branch. And anybody who wants to come along to the meetings, they're 7 p.m. Celtic Ross tonight and 7 p.m. in O'Donovan's Hotel tomorrow. OK, and there's no commitment. Just go along and, and listen and just find yep. out more. That, that's yeah, all you need just come and talk to us and we'll be happy. There'll be plenty of us there. Um, there's a very short presentation on what we do and then there'll be lots of volunteers around to talk and, and discuss and take questions. OK. How long, if you don't mind me asking, how long are you uh, a Samaritan, uh, John, and, and what prompted you to get involved? Um, I've been a Samaritan now for seven and a half years um, and I came up uh, to thinking about, I had some spare time when I uh, actually went part-time before I retired. Um, and I think there have been events in, in my life, and the one um, that I recall uh, that probably was, was a bit of a prompt. When I was a child, I was uh, nine or ten. Um, I had a friend. I lived in a small village. I lived in a small village. And um, across the road, this friend, he was the same age as me. We went to school together. And one morning there was lots of activity outside his house and his father had taken his own life. And I remember that made a big impression on me. And when I was around 15, um, I went to a school event. There was a school meeting of of sort of 15, 16-year-olds around where I lived. A number of schools came together. And the founder of Samaritans, Chad Barra, gave a talk to us. Uh, he was one of the speakers. And it was very inspirational, this sense that we, by listening, um, we can provide comfort and we can alleviate distress and despair. And I think those two events were very significant for me and stayed with me. And that's one of the reasons I became a Samaritan. Well done. Well done. And it shows, doesn't it, the, 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 the devastation and the ripple effect when... Yeah. When somebody dies by uh, suicide, the ripple effect that it can have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and John, how busy are you at the Samaritans in Cork? We're very busy. Yeah. Um, the phones are busy. And uh, it's great that we have uh, a, a pool of volunteers that are there to take calls and listen to our callers. 
Okay, so tonight uh, in Celtic Ross, uh, tomorrow in O'Donovan's Hotel, you said seven o'clock each night, didn't you? That's it. Seven o'clock. Yep. And if people can't make either of those information meetings, can they contact you online, uh, John? They can. Uh, look for CorkSamaritans.ie online. Um, you, can follow, you can fill in the uh, application form uh, from that website. Okay. So from our website and also uh, can email recruitment at, Samarit- at Cork, sorry, recruitment at CorkSamaritans.ie. And of course, anybody listening to us in need of help from Samaritans, as we speak, there's somebody available uh, to take yep. your call at 116-123, And I know also you do the email, joe at uh, samaritans.ie. Listen, John, a real pleasure speaking to you. Good luck with the Clonakilty uh, satellite. Um, I have a feeling it's going to be hugely, hugely uh, successful. And I hope you get lots of uh, volunteers to get involved. But thank you for joining us and continue good luck. Good luck with the work of Samaritans. Thank you very much, Patricia. Good morning or good afternoon to you. Thank you very much. That is uh, John Spencer, Director of Samaritans in uh, Cork. Is it something you would consider doing? And and I think I think John is right. There are so many great, good people in living in West Cork who'd like to get involved in Samaritans, but the thought of having to drive up to the centre in the city in order to complete the work that might just put some people off, but to actually now have their own satellite centre in Clonakilty, it will make it a lot easier for people. So please go along. Just if you'd like to chat, maybe find out more about it, Celtic Ross Hotel in Roscarbury tonight and O'Donovan's Hotel in uh, Clonakilty. That is tomorrow night. 0818 We were told talking about going cashless and I read out that piece that I thought was really interesting that came up on a Facebook post talking about how a 150 euro note how when you hand it into one restaurant how the spin-off then it can end up in the laundry if the restaurant owner needs to get the laundry done the laundry owner then uh, might use it to pay the barber he's getting his hair cut and the 50 euro then from the barber might end up in a local supermarket and how it stays locally uh, as well and how it, it ends up being the same worth it was when the first person handed in the five euro note rather than handing it into the bank or paying digitally and there's all of the various banking charges associated with it. Somebody says, I think that Facebook post is encouraging illegal activities by encouraging owners to take money out of the till and engaging in the black economy where no tax is paid and then it's ultimately a loss to the exchequer which could be used to fund social welfare. I don't know how in any part of that post you saw that as encouraging people on the black economy. The fact that the person, I went into the restaurant and paid, the restaurant owner then has a 50 euro note. Okay, it might be coming out of his his till, but it could have come out of his till as his wages for that week and subsequently the same with the laundry and subsequently the same with the barber. At no point did it say that the people don't declare the money that came in through their tills. I mean, if they put it through their tills, won't there be a record on their tills? So I completely disagree with you that it's got anything to do with the black economy or encouraging people to get involved in the black economy, which ultimately then there's no money going through to the exchequer and just on paying by cash somebody says Patricia do you know that parking machines in Formoy are changing 
to pay by card uh, shortly and will it only be the option to pay? I thought some of those machines, I know lots of people like the idea of going up to a parking machine and being able to tap and go because you've got the people who don't have cash with them and if they need to put money into a parking meter they mightn't have the money uh, with them. So I wonder if they're changing to pay by card, will there also be the option? To, get, to give cash as well because I'm assuming they'll have to be because not everybody uh, will arrive to park their car with a card with them. 0818 103 103. I've got to go. Thanks to Bernie for producing. Talk to you tomorrow at 10.